Hi, this is Angie Trueblood from AngieTrueBlood.com, and you are listening to the Eat Blog Talk podcast. Food bloggers, you are going to absolutely love this conversation that Angie and I had. I know it's not typical to think of food blogging and podcasting to go together, but it does not have to be that way. Listen to the value Angie brings to the table. She has um, expertise in this area in podcasting and in food blogging. And she makes a really great case for why you need to get your voice out into the world. Your audience needs to hear you in a new way. So we're going to dig into the conversation. Enjoy and thank you so much for being here today. Hey, Angie, it's so good to have you. And hey, food bloggers, welcome to another episode of Eat Blog Talk. Today, Angie and I are going to have a conversation about how to leverage podcast guesting and the impact interviews can have on your growth. As a podcast visibility expert and host of the Go Pitch Yourself podcast, Angie Trueblood knows that the only perfect pitch is the one that leads with value and focuses on building a genuine connection. Whether she is teaching entrepreneurs how to pitch themselves or working behind the scenes to secure opportunities for others, Angie leverages her super connector powers to grow businesses and build long-lasting relationships. Angie, super excited for this chat today. I would love to prompt you first, though, because we all want to hear your fun fact. Yeah, so it's actually very relevant to this interview is I actually had a different business years ago that was in sort of the food blogging space. I started a business called Meal Planning Mama way back when. I guess it was 2014, maybe. Um, I basically transitioned home from more of a corporate sales job with a direct sales company that taught typically busy moms had a meal plan and meal prep. And from that, I created a blog and a course all around meal planning. So I have a little bit of actual experience in the blogging space. (laughs) That's really cool. So how long did you do that? So I did it. um, I'm thinking about I think it was 2014 is when I started it. And then I kind of transitioned out of that in 2017, early 2018, when I pivoted to the visibility um, business. So cool. So once a food yeah. blogger, always a food blogger. So yeah. really, you can claim that you're still a food blogger, in my opinion. <laughs> Perfect. I will put it on my website. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It's like riding a bike, right? Like once you do it, you know it and you can do it forever. So claim it. Yeah. Well, it's so funny because a recent launch that I did, it was a webinar launch. And I shared that when I was in that space, one of the ways that I grew my visibility was by guesting on other podcasts. And I just showed a screenshot of the name of the course that literally has not sold in years because I don't promote it. And during that launch of a visibility program, two people went and bought the meal planning course. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And that is pretty cool. I know. I promptly emailed them and said, there is literally no support for this course. So (laughs) if you want to refund, I totally. Oh my gosh, I love that. That's great. Um, Well, we talked a little bit before we started recording. I'm really excited to talk about this because I am on a mission myself to get on people's other people's platforms. 
Um, and I haven't really started yet. I'm kind of doing the preliminary work, but I saw like six months ago, I just saw the power of this whole act of like getting on to other people's platforms and using that as a way to share your voice and to connect and network and learn and grow and like get, become a better speaker and become more fluent. Like there's so many things, there's so much power that lies in this simple act of just putting your voice on someone else's podcast. So I am excited to dig into this. And I guess I would just love to start by asking you, how do you feel the best way is to build your authority and network using podcast guesting? Yeah, it's interesting because you can do both by sort of targeting different folks that you get exposure to. So if you're envisioning that you are pitching yourself to be a guest on someone else's podcast, ideally, you are looking for folks who serve a very similar audience that you do, but in a way that's complementary, right? So it's less competitive, and that host is not necessarily serving their audience in the exact same way that you would. So the beauty of that is that you ultimately build authority, both by connecting with that new audience, right? So that host podcast audience, they see you as sort of being ushered in by someone they already respect because they listen to that podcast. So they already see you as an authority and an expert in whatever it is that you're talking about. You can also take that opportunity back to your already established audience. So if you're a blogger, the folks that are reading your blog then see that you have been a guest on a podcast. And so almost subconsciously, they think, well, wow, someone saw her or him as an expert and invited them on to talk about this topic. That just really grows your authority in that space. But then that networking component that you mentioned is also a really great, I don't even know if it's something I would call a side effect anymore because it is such a primary benefit is you end up establishing a network of influencers, right? We always think about influencers as being like the Kardashians and all of these folks doing reels and TikToks. But if someone is a podcast host, they influence the audience that is listening to them. And so you are expanding your network by connecting with folks who already have audiences that love and respect them. So that's sort of like the level set of what you can gain from it. And I'm happy to answer, you know, any more questions around that because they're really two of the most important factors in choosing to, like you said, get in front of someone else's audience. I loved everything you said. And I feel like once you meet, like, let's say you got onto someone's podcast who you're adding something complimentary, like you said, it's not just you and that person. You are also now a part of their network. So down the road, maybe that podcast host would say, oh, I remember Angie, she talked about this topic and it was really unique, like her perspective. And there's this other host that's looking for, you know, like they can connect you. So it's not just one connection you're making. It's so many valuable connections just by being on a single podcast. It can trickle down into so many different areas. So I love that you called it a primary benefit. It's not just a sideline benefit. It's actually one of the best things. Um, so how do we find topics, though? Because we're talking to food bloggers, and I know food bloggers can hear this conversation and say, well, 
what would I have to offer on a podcast? I'm a photographer, you know, I offer things visually most of the time. How do we land on those compelling topics? So a lot of it is really looking at when people have come to you before and you've interacted with your blog audience, what are the comments that they're posting? What are the questions that they are asking, right? What are the challenges that you are already tackling in the work that you do every day and formulating those into topics that could be appealing to a podcast audience? So I always like to first envision who who are the types of audiences I should be getting in front of, right? Who are these complementary business owners? And in the blogging space, you know, if you've got, um, maybe you have a vegan food blog for busy families, right? So maybe it's really niched and, but, but it's still talking to busy families. Well, you could find some complementary business owners in that space who maybe serve families in a different way. Maybe they don't teach them about meal planning or cooking or any of those topics, but maybe they teach them about productivity or parenting. Well, how can you take what you're an expert at and really angle it to serve that podcast audience? So as an example, if it's someone in more of the productivity organization space for busy families, maybe it's how to cook vegan, and I'm not vegan, so forgive me for probably totally mangling this, Um, but maybe it would be how to implement vegan cooking three nights a week or how to do it, you know, without feeling like you have to totally overhaul all of the systems that you already have in place. So it's really taking a couple of things. First, what are people continuously asking you? You can totally turn those into conversation topics, but then also the people that you know you want to connect with, some of these other complementary influencers, how can you angle what you are an expert at to really serve their audience? It's almost taking your expertise and putting it under the umbrella with which they already serve their audience. So how many topics do you recommend being f- fluent in? You know, like, do you have one topic that you're just really good at? You can say anything on the topic without any notes. Or do you recommend having a handful, like maybe three that you could pull out of your hat? What do you think? Yeah, so we always recommend both with the clients that we serve. So in our business, we pitch clients. So we have people come to us and they hire us to do all of the pitching and scheduling. But then we also have programs where we teach entrepreneurs, business owners, how to pitch themselves. Regardless of who it is, we always start with a pitch template, which might sound like something that you just blanketly email out to 50 podcast hosts. And that is not how we use a template. (laughs) Um, But we use it to be a starting point so that when you go and you've identified a host that you think, you know, you might be a good fit for their audience, you're not just staring at a blank email right? To where you have to come up with everything from scratch. So we have a pitch template that we start off just in a Google doc. And typically we start with three to four core topics that we feel like would resonate with different types of audiences. And candidly, by the end of the time that we work with our clients, we normally have fleshed out seven to eight different topics because we have found shows that would be a good fit for them. And then we need to sort of finagle um, some of their core talk topics to fit under that umbrella. 
or we've identified a couple of different niches that we didn't anticipate, and we really want to have a topic that speaks to them. So three to four is a great starting point for folks to kind of get their feet wet and to have something in reserve. Can you talk through your pitch template? Would you mind doing that? Yeah, for sure. So it's a Google Doc, and it's almost like the beginning part of it and the ending part of it, if you can imagine, almost stay the same in every pitch that we send. Um, The first paragraph is sort of a connection point. Well, this part definitely does not stay the same, but the bones of it do. (laughs) So it's, you know, hi, podcast host, and we use their name. We also use the name of their podcast, which a lot of folks who are doing this more like automated pitching never do. I feel like I've been on this uh, pattern of getting pitches to be a guest on the Go Pitch Yourself podcast. And they say, I love your podcast. You're doing such great things with it. But yeah, they never even mention the name of it, (laughs) which drives me bananas. Um, And so that first paragraph, it's really a point of connection of, I see your podcast, I really appreciate how you are doing this, this, and this, or I appreciate how you are helping food bloggers monetize their passion, right? It's almost like restating what it is that their podcast does, like who they speak to and how they serve them, so that the host feels seen and heard in that email, right? So that's really the first point is making a bit of a connection and kind of bridging that gap as to why you're reaching out. So really spelling out like this is who I serve and I feel like there is some similarity or I noticed you haven't talked about the topic of XYZ, which is why I'm reaching out today. So that first paragraph is really important, really just to kind of establish the fact that you're not just sending out the same email to 50 other people. And then We've actually changed our template and the order in which things are presented, but at some point you want to include a bit of a bio. Now, a bio is not a (laughs) three-paragraph detail of what you do, all the awards you've gotten. It's really a two to three sentence um, snippet, and it needs to be succinct, who you serve, if you're a podcast host, if you're a blogger, include some of those things in there. But it's really just to give that host a level set, short idea of who you are and who you serve. Then you introduce the topic that you're pitching. And we actually, and you even see it from the application that I submitted to be on your podcast, we actually include a couple of bullet points so that the host can envision what that conversation might sound like. That's really important. And then we just close it out. If the guests or me, if I have been a guest on other shows, I will link to two of them so that they can see, okay, she's not a total newbie. Other people, you know, have recognized her as an authority and she is able to articulate her thoughts in an audio format. I mean, I think for me as a podcast host, and I'm sure you too, Megan, when people pitch you, I don't necessarily want to take a chance on someone that I've never been able to hear how they share their ideas. So then we kind of close it out and it's not a hard, obnoxious close of, I think she would be a great fit. Send me over a scheduling link. It really is asking the question of, I would love to get your thoughts on whether or not you think this topic and this guest would be a good fit for your show. So it's very like non, um, pressure in the way that we send our pitches. Right. That is such a great 
pitch. You talked through some amazing points. One thing I wanted to touch on was the, you know, proving that you're, that you've actually listened to their show. And I think this is really important and why it takes a little bit of time. Like you can't just, in my opinion, tell me what you think, Angie, but I feel like you can't just like look in your podcast player and pick one that you're like, oh, that kind of relates to cooking. So I'm going to apply there. Like actually dive into to a few of their episodes and listen. Like you can't pitch until you've actually listened because they might not align with you at all. And if you're pitching them one thing and they're like, wait a second, that's not aligning, then it's totally insincere. So I feel like you've got to invest time and actually listen to a few of the episodes. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that. Um, I think that's actually an obstacle for a lot of folks to even begin pitching because they build it up to imagine that I have to listen to three episodes of every podcast I pitch. It's going to take me forever. And inside of our co-op, which is our new program that we're offering, and it does teach folks how to pitch themselves, I give a lot of shortcuts on how to do this so that your pitch is still authentic and well aligned, but you don't have to spend all of this time listening to episodes. I mean, candidly, I get pitches from folks and they will quote, you know, a certain episode. I loved episode 32 with Susie Q, but then, but then the topic that they pitch makes zero sense for my show. So I, one, don't believe them. (laughs) And Two, would prefer that the pitch topic is more relevant. So, but that doesn't take away exactly what you said about the alignment. And it really has to do with like the energy. So a really great shortcut to that is as you are sort of vetting the show and coming up with your topic, just listen to an episode playing in the background because you'll be able to hear the audio quality of the show, right? If you're starting out, you're likely not going to pitch the biggest podcast in your space. You know, you might be starting with some that have maybe not been out as long. They've been out six months to a year. And you still want to be protective of your own brand and reputation and make sure that you're on shows that you feel proud to share. So we always listen in the background because that intro of the podcast can be really informative. You can get a real great sense of what this host sees as important and valuable. And then you can also poke around on their website to see, well, what's important to them? What are they getting paid to do? That's also, that's something that's a great little tidbit is look and see how are they monetizing their business? Is it through the podcast? Is it through an offer? And then that will give you an inclination of what's important to them and you can angle your pitch accordingly. Wow. I love that. Okay. So that is so great because I think you're right. It can be overwhelming. Like, well, why would I ever do this? I'm not going to invest three hours of my life this week just to, you know, figure out if I'm a good fit, but just putting it on. And what you said about the energy tells all is so true. You can tell within 10 minutes if your energy aligns with the host's energy. So like, you know, do it while you're cooking, just turn on a few And for 10 minutes each, right? That's all you would really need to do to know if you're aligning. And then I love your shortcut about just going to their website because I think that is a huge um, factor in just telling you, yes, this is someone who aligns with me or not. 
Yeah. Um, so that is great. And I'm actually going to steal that because I can get overwhelmed too. I have a set number of podcasts that I listen to regularly, but I, I mean, if I just find one on my player, I'm like, oh, I have to listen to a bunch right. before I can figure this out. So I really appreciate all of that. Thank you, Angie. Well, and I think you saying that is really important for your listeners too, because the people like what you said, I want to be able to listen. I want to make sure I'm aligned. So the people that would actually spend the time listening to three episodes are the people that we want pitching us, right? Like I want people asking to be on my podcast because they really want to show up and deliver value that is aligned and relevant to my listeners. And so that's, I mean, really one of the reasons that I started my program back when I did two years ago to help people learn to pitch was because I felt like the people that we actually wanted to be guests, the folks that would actually show up and deliver real value were more intimidated by the process. And I wanted to simplify it, you know? So I love you pointing that out because if you're listening and you're thinking, oh, I really think I do need to listen to three to four episodes, you are the people that we want pitching (laughs) because you will be showing up to share your gifts. And that's what we're all looking for as podcast hosts or should be. (laughs) I just personally would never pitch to be on someone else's show if I didn't have a 100% solid yes feeling that it was a good fit. And I get pitches quite often that are so not authentic and it's like disconcerting. I just feel like, really? You clearly don't know anything about my podcast. Like you said this earlier, that they like won't even say the name of the show, which is first of all, like, really? Okay. Say the name of eBlog Talk. Show me something that you know about even anything about food blogging. I have people pitch that know nothing about food blogging. They don't even know it's a podcast for food bloggers. Well, that's what I was going to say too, is for you. I mean, I'm picturing even some of our clients and what we'll do because we will select verticals um, in specific niches. So if we had someone and we actually, I actually have a client that I want to connect you with. And I was thinking about this earlier, but if I were to pitch her to you, I would make sure in that topic, it included the words, food blogger, because it's very clear that's who you serve. And by omitting it, it just, it doesn't seem as personal or as relevant of a pitch for your audience. And I do feel like the number of pitches that we get that are so off the mark, it's, I mean, there have been times when I think, do we spend too much time, like really personalizing our pitches? Like, is this working for others? Because... Yes. And it I mean, clearly it must work some of the time because I feel like I'm just part of a copy and paste template that gets put on multiple emails. So I don't know, maybe it does work for others. Um, I just had one other thing to say about your pitch template that I le- loved, and that is that you add bullet points. So this is something that I feel really strongly about. Um, like when I have guests on the show, I asked you, Angie, I ask everybody to provide talking points. And I think if you do it up front, it's so valuable because providing your own talking points for the topic that you are talking about, by the way, right. is like takes a load off the host because if if you're an expert in this area, then you know it. So wh- why would I provide your talking points? And I have actually had people get mad at me because I asked them to provide talking points 
like people that pitch you? So, so, no, I actually reached out to the person I'm thinking of. I reached out to them, asked them if they would love to be a guest. They said yes. And then I asked them for a couple talking points and they were irate. They were like, I cannot believe you would ask me to be on your show and then ask me to provide points. And I was like, oh my gosh. So I just feel so strongly like if you are the expert and clearly you are, you're my guest, then you provide those talking points. So doing it in the pitch, I think is super valuable because you're showing the host that you're going to show up prepared. Here's exactly what I'm going to talk through. Well, it's also nice to have in your back pocket when a host, and we've had this before too, you know, sometimes there's a form that you have to fill out and it will say, you know, can you give us three to five questions? Sure. We just take those talking points and basically put a question mark at the, like we just make them into a question. Um, so a lot of it helps you on the implementation side of it, that it just doesn't take as long to kind of get that ball mo- rolling on scheduling. Great pitch. Okay. I wrote all of that down. So I'm going to, um, <laughs> I'm going to, this is going to help me. So thank you. I hope you don't mind that I steal some Perfect. of this. <laughs> oh no, I do this for my show all the time. We're going to take just a little break, so we will dig back into the conversation after this message. Hey, food bloggers. Do you ever get caught up in the confusion about how in the world you are going to make money? Take the free quiz I've put together for you that is going to help you get to the bottom of this problem. Go to eatblogtalk.com forward slash quiz to find out which stream of revenue is the next perfect one for you. Your results will be personalized based on your answers, and they will provide you with action steps and resources that will help you launch into monetizing your blogging business in a new way. There are truly so many ways to make money as a food blogger, so don't waste another second. Again, go to eblogtalk.com forward slash quiz and get started on your next revenue stream today. Hey guys, just reminding you to head over to iTunes if you haven't already to subscribe, rate, and review Eat Blog Talk. It adds value to this podcast when you do that, and I would be so grateful for your time. It will take two minutes, press pause, go do it, and come back and keep listening. Angie, we're back, and I would love to talk about like once you're actually a guest... What do you think are ways that we can deliver content that's actually engaging and powerful and something that people want to come and listen to? So the biggest thing is incorporating the idea of storytelling. And I know in business, we hear about that all the time. And again, I think that's also can be really intimidating. You know, if you just immediately think, well, I'm not a storyteller. I'm a business owner. I'm a food blogger. But I mean, as a blogger, you are telling stories through the work that you create and put out there. What I mean for podcast interviews is have some examples, especially in the beginning. So if you haven't guested on a show before, have a couple of go-to examples that are stories, whether they are client stories, your own experiences that are tied to some of the topics that you're anticipating you might speak to. Right, Because anything that you can do to create some level of depth to the information that you're sharing is really important to help draw the listener in. Um, A podcast interview is so different than a blog post because you want to incorporate, you want to make sure it seems conversational for the most part, 
with a host. So there's a relationship there that you are having, but you also really want to draw the listener in, right? You don't want the listener to feel like they're just eavesdropping on a conversation. You want them to be involved. And so anytime that you can, and even earlier in our conversation, I mentioned specifically, so listener, you know, this would be something to think about. Anytime you can draw them in, anytime you can share examples of if it's a recipe, right? If you say, you know, in this one blog post that I wrote back in XYZ, I detailed XYZ. Anything you can provide that offers some level of depth is really going to draw the listener in more. Oh, I'm writing all that down too. Um, We all love stories, right? We love it. I love it when I start listening to a podcast and someone gets involved in a story and how it can relate to business. And I don't know, a good story is just, there's nothing like it. So finding those things, how do you, do you have an example? Like how do we find stories that are related to, I don't know, food? Like, do we tell a a story relating to a kitchen incident? I, I can just imagine that people listening are like, well, what would I tell if I'm an expert on vegan cooking? How would I relate that to a story? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think it depends on what the angle of the interview is going to be. Um, First, you just really have to see, you know, so for this interview, as an example, I knew that I would be talking to food bloggers. And so I have stories to tell from my experience having a blog of my own. So it, it would really be stories that you just take 10 to 15 minutes before you record, right? So we always recommend doing prep before you get on your podcast interview And that includes sort of getting to know the host and their online presence. I told you before we hit record, I was just listening to one of your episodes beforehand. And so getting a sense of what that host might want to talk to you about is really the best way to incorporate just some level of depth in your answers. So if storytelling, if that phrase, because to me, that is a little bit intimidating, Um, I have a client, a previous client, Nikki Roush, who's a great friend of mine. Um, Her business is the sales maven. She's extraordinary at authentic selling without feeling sleazy. And we recorded an episode way back when I launched Go Pitch Yourself about leading listeners to take the next step. And she talked about the idea of planting seeds. So there's definitely storytelling involved, but if you can plant seeds throughout your interview, of the name of your blog, of some specific posts that your people might want to check out that the new listeners, right, that just discovered you, some of your top topics that they might want to go back and read, or if you have a paid offering, planting those seeds, it just, again, helps that listener create a depth of, like, they almost create then their own story around you and who you are so that they can kind of imagine you after the interview is over and what your niche is, and just how they picture you and your expertise. I don't know if that seems more approachable than storytelling. Right. I love that. Planting seeds is something, I use that phrase a lot. I just love the concept of like planting little seeds in life and in conversations. Um, And I think that something like this can seem a little intimidating, like you said, like, well, how would I think through that? Like, I just want to talk to someone. But you, the more you do it, the better you're yeah. going to be at it. And the more you talk to people, 
on the fly like this, the better you get. Like when I first started podcasting, I couldn't have done that. I couldn't have planted seed. I would have been like, what are you talking about, Angie? (laughs) But now I'm like, okay, yeah, like it's way more natural. It is something that you need to really commit to and and just let the process happen and let the magic kind of come from it. Well, and it will be uncomfortable in the beginning and you will make mistakes. I remember back in my meal planning mama days, one of my first interviews, the host had asked for my bio and I didn't have, you know, kind of like the online bio that we have now. And so I legit sent like the bio she used basically included like where I went to college and grad school. And as she was reading it while we were recording, that was the other thing is she read the bio and I didn't realize that people would just read the bio as your intro. And as she was reading it, I was like, oh my gosh. So I even like afterwards reached out to say, I can give you a different, you know, bio to read if you don't feel like that one was as relevant to your audience as it should be. But just know like weird stuff is going to happen and you just learn from it. Yeah, you've got to roll with it. And that's how you get better. You encounter those weird situations and you just deal with it. And in the end, you get, you know, it just makes you better. And it gives you stories. (laughs) Yes, it does. Right. Like you just told us about your bio story. (laughs) It makes a memory. I always say that when my boys do something weird. I'm like, hey, you just made a memory. You just made someone smile. They're going to talk about this forever. (laughs) So we talked about this a little bit or alluded to it anyway, um, like the whole planting seeds thing. How do you recommend, Angie, that we make the most out of each interview as far as like mentioning things that we have to offer or mentioning our website? Do you have strategies for that? Yeah. So for sure, I would say over the last year, we have seen a bit of a shift in podcast guesting. Um, In the early days, I felt like it was an excellent growth tool for email subscribers. But I think everyone in the online business space is sometimes struggling now. You know, it's not as easy to quote, grow your list as it used to be. And so whereas that was more of a primary focus and almost a primary selling point of being a guest on other people's podcasts, we still measure that as a metric, but it's not something that we really lead with when we entertain the idea with potential clients or even when we coach our students through it. So I think it's important to know what is your goal with guesting. And some of those things, it's not really easy to measure, um, like the authority building, right? Like what is the number that we use to measure our authority in a space? Um, For bloggers, definitely it would be page views. And I would still recommend definitely you do want to measure the email conversions because on some shows we do see a really great growth in email list. Um, But it's not always, you know, it could be that you want to grow your Instagram following. So first of all, it's going into it, identifying what is most important to you and your business. And then really, and this kind of comes later, right? It's almost like Megan, you talked about, let's, Let's get all of some of the uncomfortable mistakes out of the way initially. And then the next layer is really being intentional about what do we want that listener to do after they hear us and hopefully fall in love with us. So I always like to recommend offering almost a tiered approach of a call to action at the end. Um, One could just be, 
hey, if you like what you've heard here, and you wouldn't say it like this, but it's almost a, I like you, I want to get to know you, what's an easy way that I can kind of stick with you? And maybe that would be follow me on Instagram, or maybe that would be go over to the blog and check that out, right? And then you might have another tier that's like, if you really want to stick with me, again, that's not how you would sell it at the end of an interview, but you know, if you want to get more information on how we plan our vegan meals for our family of eight, you can go download this freebie on my website, right? So that's a little bit more of like a sticky action because they're giving you an email address. And then I'm also not opposed to offering, hey, if you want support in doing the thing, this is what I offer. And you can go here to get more information on that. So I think First of all, a tiered approach to that idea of a call to action is really important and know that you can plant the seeds throughout the interview for each of those, you know? Oh, good strategies. And I think the like finding the pain points for your audience is really important here because when you can address that and say, I have a freebie or I have a course or I have um, coaching or whatever it is that solves the problem for this pain point you're having, that's when people really listen. So I think that is kind of step one. Like, what is the audience and what are they really struggling with? And I think that's where a lot of people get hung up because we offer these blanket solutions like um, easy weeknight dinners, which I'm not saying anything bad about that because I love easy weeknight dinners. But you know what I mean? Like, getting a little bit more specific than that, like, something that really irritates me, you know, and like solving that and figuring out what that is. But that's like a whole other conversation, I feel like. It is. But I mean, it's it's warranted as you, if you really get into the podcast guesting and you commit, like this is what I'm going to use as my primary visibility outlet, then it does make sense to take the time to curate something, you know, that is very specific for your audience. We're actually testing with one of our clients right now, rather, and I need to do it for my own business, but rather than offering, you know, here's one place to go for this, here's one place to go for that, is just creating one landing page that has all of the different offerings so that you're just sending them to one space um, to kind of check it out and connect with you. And I really like that idea and the effort of making it simple for the listener. What do you recommend as far as once the interview is done, you've made this relationship with this host and hopefully had a good experience? Do you follow up? Do you come back later and ask for a second interview? What do you do from there? I mean, I think those are all great options. (laughs) I think so much of what I see where people fall short in really leveraging these opportunities that they've landed. And candidly, it sometimes takes a lot of work to get these interviews accepted and scheduled and recorded. And then sometimes people just kind of after the interview, it's like you never really talk to that person again. And I think that's really should be the starting point of your relationship. And obviously share the interview when it goes live. So make sure that you know when it goes live. Most hosts will let you know, although we've definitely run into others where (laughs) the interview just goes live and we were never notified. But Oh, interesting. So actually one of the jobs of my um, executive assistant is every week, she basically scraps Apple Podcasts to see if any of the shows that our clients have recorded have gone live and that we have just not been notified about. So 
I would never Crazy. think to not let my guests know. We right. always let our guests know, hey, tomorrow your your episode will be yeah. published. I mean, that just never occurred to me. I wow. Know. Very eye-opening. Um, so definitely as a guest, make sure that you are sharing the episode across your social platforms. We actually share most of them inside of our every other week email newsletter that goes out to our subscribers. Um, just because not everyone follows me on Instagram, you know, they might follow me on email and that's good enough for them. So I really want to do my due diligence and sharing. And then in terms of the relationship, I think it's great to see, is there an opportunity for me to share this person, this podcast host with my audience somehow, you know, and it depends on the structure of your business. Maybe you don't have a podcast, but maybe you offer guest posts on your blog and there is something relevant or there is a way that you could share that host with your people. It would need to be aligned. You know, I'm not saying create an opportunity that just feels like you're putting a, um, what is it? A square peg into a round hole, (laughs) right? We don't want to force it, but if there is an opportunity for sure, invite that person um, to meet with your audience And then keep circling back, like stay connected with them on social and don't be afraid. I know one thing that, um, so I am a super connector and I know not everyone is built the way that I am, but when I meet people, it's almost like in my brain, I immediately picture others that they should be connected with. Like, oh, I do the same. Oh my gosh. And so (laughs) it's important for those of us that actually have that ridiculous skills. I don't even know. (laughs) I don't know that it benefits me all the time, but to take that action step and say, Hey, Megan, are you familiar with Monica? I think the two of you should really know each other and connecting people on email. So I do that a lot when there are hosts that I've been connected with that I just kind of fall in love with. I automatically think to connect them with people in my world. So I think it's really just seeing it as the beginning of of a relationship and ways that you can nurture it moving forward. I'm glad to know you do that too, because I (laughs) sometimes feel like I'm a little annoying when I'm like, oh, you should. I feel like that's all I do is send kind of connection emails. I do this all the time. Like, hey, you should know this person. I don't know what this could bring or why I'm introducing you, but it just felt right. Like maybe you guys could help each other out all around. I feel like it's beneficial to do that. But again, I do feel slightly annoying sometimes. <laughs> I do too. But I mean, I, I think I even, I don't know if I have an official canned response in my email because I do it so often, but I have shared it. I remember being on a coaching call with some students who said they wanted to introduce two people and they were like, well, do you have a template for that? And I actually ended up sharing it because I think it's important for both you and I to recognize that's just something we do. But it also comes back to serve us and it does serve other folks who might not think the way that we do, you know, of really like helping them grow their network. So I see it as a service. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, I agree with that. It is. It's valuable because not everybody thinks that way and not everybody acts on it, too. And can I just say this? I love people who I've had on my show who follow up with me. I love that when they come back and they're like, 
I don't know, just anything like, oh, I was listening to this other episode or, hey, it was really great to talk to you and I loved our conversation or, yeah, I've thought of this new connection that you could be aligned with or whatever it is. I absolutely love it. It makes me so happy and I I copy and paste all of my follow-up emails and put them in a document because I think it's, I call it my document of awesomeness and I just love looking through there and it's um, kind of nerdy, but it just makes me happy. It's one of my happy things. Well, I think it's important <laughs> that you said that because a lot of folks will ask, should I send a gift? Like if I've been on someone's show, should I send a card? I mean, I was on a show before and I, they sent like a gift box of, I mean, it was amazing. But again, that to me, it overcomplicates this connection, right? This avenue of connecting with someone in their audience. And it might be a little intimidating, you know, if you're not a gift giver by nature. And so really the fact that what sparks joy for you is having guests reach back out and circle back and stay connected. I just want the listeners to know that like you don't have to have this massive follow-up plan. It just needs to be, hey, we need a really human connection and we're going to keep it alive. One email, like one sentence is all, I mean, that makes me as happy as a basket of fruit. I mean, (laughs) I think (laughs) a simple email is all I need. It just, I love that. I love talking to you, Angie. I feel like we could go on and on. I was telling you earlier that I talk so much about food blogging that when I can actually talk to someone about podcasting, it's really exciting because I don't often do that. My world is so centered on food blogging. So I love it when we can kind of marry these two things too, because they really can, podcasting really can benefit food bloggers, businesses. And I know this is a really new concept to wrap our heads around, but I feel really strongly about this. Like if you're a food blogger listening, I encourage you to try it. Find an area of expertise that you just love talking about. We all have it. There's something there. You probably have five things you could think of right now. Take your top thing and pitch it to one of your favorite podcasts that maybe aligns. Pitch it to me. If there's something that aligns with food blogging, come here. I would love to have you as a guest on my show. And this would be great practice because it's easy here, right? Like you guys hear me and know me, you know my um, format and my style. So do it here first and then take that and um, do it other places and just get really good at it. Get good talking about that thing that you love so much. Do you have any um, encouragement, Angie? I feel like you could really deliver some encouragement too as far as like getting food bloggers out of their comfort zone and doing something like this. Yeah, it's interesting because, and this, um, I mean, the last 18 months, I'm based in the US and I have two school-aged children and we ended up homeschooling last year. And I was in a mastermind call. It was a peer mastermind that I created with two of my great business friends. And I was really considering, you know, a shift in my business, needing to kind of pivot to make space for how home life had changed. And I was going over all of these different ways that I could make that pivot. And my friend said, Angie, here's the thing. Like you can do all of these things. And it wasn't so much that she said it in a way, you know how you've heard people say like, you can do all the things, but you need to choose. The way that she angled it to me was you are able and capable of doing every single one of these things that you have come up with. 
but you can't do all of them. And for me, it was really the nuance. And I'm saying this because I know in the blogging space, I remember when I had a blog, there was one point that I was talking to my best friend. I'm like, I have all these ideas. And she had me make this post-it note wall of all of my ideas. And it was so overwhelming. So I'm saying this to you as a listener, as someone who has gone through it, you are very likely capable and well-qualified to do all of those things. Like you could choose them and be very successful at them, but you can't actually do them all and be successful. So I don't, I don't know if the nuance is clear enough in what I'm sharing, but it's really that you can do it. Like you are capable. And I feel like me owning that I could be successful, like that the success was already there. I just needed to decide what it was going to look like for me was really the shift that I needed. Oh, wow. That was well said. So well said. Okay. It seemed really jumbled. No, (laughs) it wasn't. That was really encouraging and motivating. And you guys can do it. You guys are awesome. Food bloggers are amazing. I just have to say that they can do so much. They can do like everything. They have like 19 different jobs that they can do on a regular basis. So when it comes to putting your voice out on audio, you can do that. You put yourself on video. I mean, there are so many things that you can do and this is one of them. And podcasting is not going anywhere. It's only getting more popular and more people are consuming podcasts every day. So get on this train and get your voice out into the world. Become a fluent speaker on your topic of choice and it's only going to benefit you. I just like to ask you before we start wrapping up, is there anything that you feel like we missed before we say goodbye? I don't think so. I mean, I think just the idea, like you said, um, stepping into it, using your voice, it's, it's helpful for obviously visibility and authority, but also it really helps you sort of flesh out your expertise and your positioning in the niche where you are. For me, when I I started guesting before I ever hosted a show, and it was one of the best ways for me to recognize what do other people see me as an authority in? What questions do they have? It actually helped me create better content because I got someone else sort of asking questions rather than me envisioning what my audience would want to hear from me. So um, I just say, Blogging and podcasting are so related in that content marketing field that to me, it's a natural transition over. Oh, and I just have to say real quick that the a, a common hang up, I think, is like the equipment and like getting set up. And I always like to just, you know, squash that concern because it's really not an it's a non-issue. It is so easy to create a podcast. I knew nothing I bought this microphone that plugs into my computer and I already had the software on my computer because I have Adobe products. Literally press record. I pull up Skype and press record there. That is it. And editing is way simpler than video editing. So that's a non-issue if that is something that you guys are concerned about. And email me if you are concerned about that and like, well, what microphone do I get? That is something that I can help you with. So check that off the list. Okay, Angie, this was so fun. I loved this conversation. Thank you so much for being here today and sharing this awesome value with food bloggers. We all appreciate you. Before you go, do you have words of wisdom 
beyond what you've already shared with us. I feel like you've shared so many wise words or a favorite quote that food bloggers might enjoy. Yeah, I mean, I think it really just goes back to that idea of you can do all the things. And the more that you can hone in on which ones really bring you joy, it's going to make all the difference in your business. Awesome. Well, we will put together a show notes page for you, Angie. If anyone wants to go peek at those, you can go to eatblogtalk.com forward slash Angie Trueblood. Angie, why don't you tell everyone where they can find you online? And if you have anything to offer yourself, you can mention that now. Absolutely. So obviously the podcast. So if you are intrigued by the idea of guesting on other folks' show and even maybe stepping into podcasting on your own, the Go Pitch Yourself podcast is a great place to start. I'm also fairly active on Instagram at Angie underscore Trueblood. And then we are actually launching a new product. It is more of a membership model than um, what we have done in the past. So I've had a course for a couple of years called Go Pitch Yourself, teaching folks how to pitch themselves for interviews. And what I have found, and you alluded to it, is that the podcasting space changes so rapidly. And honestly, podcast guesting, I see it all the time as sort of a gateway drug into other forms of visibility and then hosting your own show. And I thought, you know what, we need a space where people who are invested in the podcasting space, whether it's as a host or a guest, can really come together and learn, be held accountable. So we are launching it is the PodWise Co-op. And it is for small business owners who are committed to leveraging podcasts to grow their brand in some way. So um, your folks can go and check it out over at angietrueblood.com slash co-op, C-O-O-P, which looks like coop, but it's co-op. <laughs> but they can go and um, check that out if it's something that they might be interested in um, joining. Such great offerings. Thank you for that. I loved your gateway drug comment. That made me laugh. <laughs> It's so true, though. It is. I love that's like the best descriptor ever. So, thanks again, Angie, so much for being here. Everyone, go check Angie out and everything she has to offer. I'm personally going to go listen to your podcast today. So, I'm that is on my list. So, thank you again and thank you for listening, food bloggers. I will see you next time. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk. Eat Blog Talk.